Hey, hey, good people. Hey, it's hey, your girl, Fedrika McClary Easley, back with another episode of Bum, 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 Bum. The people are blunt. Um, Y'all already know what it is. Let's handle the housekeeping. So, first of all, we are on all of the platforms, YouTube, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Prime. Uh, you all know what all of this is about. Please go on, like, subscribe, thumbs up, share, do all of the good things. I actually read the comments and um, and respond to them. And we like to factor those things in your feelings into um, future guests, topics, all of those things. The people's ecosystem, you know, we have a wellness line. So our CBD line that regardless to where you are, I don't really want y'all in my nail business because um, it's time for me to get them done. It's overtime. But anyway, uh, y'all can go on there and handle that. Um, also merchandise. So t-shirts, hats, all of that good stuff. And then last but not least, you know, we launched an edible line. So go on over to Sosi Treats, treat yourself. The thing I love about these, one, they taste good, but also um, fast acting. So a lot of times you, you take an edible and it may be an hour later before you actually feel something and uh, you can get caught out there. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I totally forgot. I even took it. These activate in about 10 to 15 minutes, and it is um, new technology, so it links to a protein, which your body knows how to break down and what to do with. And without further ado, I have a guest with me. Y'all see, Natasha Andrews is in the building. Hello, beautiful. How are you? Hello, hello. I am well. How are you? I am good. I am good. Can't complain. Can't complain. No need to do it anyway. So um, thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, giving up your time, giving up yourself um, and being here to talk to the blunt people um, about, you know, who you are and all the amazing things that you have going on. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, I appreciate it. I am very much looking forward to being here. So. So let's dig into it. Let's dig into it. Um, first, tell people a little bit about yourself. I like to ask um, folks relationship or at least um, their initial kind of thoughts or how can I say this engagement with cannabis, right? Because we've all come from different places with this. Um, some of us were heavily influ influenced by the D.A.R.E. era. Some of us heavily influenced by our, our family, our communities. Um, and so I like to start off with that just in terms of who are you and your relation to cannabis? Absolutely. Not a problem at all. I, that, I like to call that my why, right? Because everyone has a why story. Everyone has that, that thing that brings them to or takes them away from the plant and fuels their relationship. So yeah. for me, um, sort of my my why is actually advocacy, believe it or not. Um, I fall into those first two buckets that you talked about. I was a D.A.R.E. era kid with a very strict um, family and upbringing, first generation American. So they were not playing with any of those naughty American ways <laughs> growing up. And I it just I really stayed away from it, whether it was intentional or just by circumstance, I, I Parents kept me active enough that that just didn't fall into my realm of reality. Um, and as I got older, you know, if I'm being honest, I was just too embarrassed to ask people 
what the terminology meant and how you get involved. So I never did. <laughs> and I, I escaped all of it. Um, but I'm an attorney. And actually, prior to jumping into this cannabis space, I practiced as an immigration attorney, mm-hmm. um, which is not your typical way of getting into cannabis. I will admit that. But for me, it really was a matter of, you know, repeated things that I would see. I would see people who were detained, uh, deported, and ultimately banned from coming back into the country. And a lot of times they were in initially on charges that were nonviolent, low level, cannabis related. Um, If I'm being honest, that didn't really compel me at the time that I was seeing it because I just didn't connect any sort of dots with it. It was just par for the course with my job. And lo and behold, I found myself taking a trip out west. Um, Towards the end of 2017, early 2018, I took a trip to Seattle, Washington. And I don't need to tell you what I saw when I got there. I saw a world that looked very, very different than the world that I was living in day to day. I saw an open market where... I say there were more dispensaries than there were Starbucks and Seattle is the home of Starbucks, which is the craziest and wildest thing in the world. Um, It was my first time out there, but more importantly, it was my first time in an open free market. And that, that changed my entire world. Like seeing that and the stark contrast between the freedom, the exposure, the um, access to wealth, the communities that were thriving as a result and the people who were getting medical help it was such a stark contradiction to people sitting in jail, languishing in jail, and ultimately facing family separation that that immediately started a couple of you know gears in my head churning to figure out what was this all about. You know, so one, yes, definitely a, a interesting entry point, but I think so fitting because I don't think that the impact that low-level cannabis offenses um, have on immigrants um, or have on our immigration system is often discussed enough. Um, And especially because of the length of time that it could take for someone to go through the immigration process. Um, And it's almost like you can't be a full human. I mean, even take cannabis out of it, but something like a traffic stop could be detrimental. Mm -hmm. Am I right? Absolutely. Um, I'm I'm a Jersey girl, right? I'm from Northern Jersey. And so diversity has never been an issue for me. I, I'm used to being around people from all different ilks, all different walks of life, ethnicities and cultures. So immigration kind of fit right in line with who I was. Again, I'm the child of immigrants. So it made sense. But right to your point, you could be you could be jaywalking and get stopped if whatever occurs in that interaction between you and the officer leads to the discovery that you are not here legally or your papers are not in order, you don't know where that's gonna take you. Um, And at this point in my career, now that I understand the history and I understand connections between things like privatized prisons and how they work and how they function and how they open up a loophole to the 13th amendment and how the objective of prisons private prisons is to make money, not to rehabilitate people. When you look at all of those factors, it doesn't take a genius to say, hmm, how do we fill beds? Where do we get these people from? Hmm. You know, and you look at the whole history of the war on drugs. Again, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say, look, a plus B, you know, what's the result? Um, and, and those are the types of things that sort of fueled my sense of justice or injustice. Um, that kind of took me down this rabbit hole that I never saw coming. 
Yeah. But you know, the universe is like that, right? The universe oftentimes um, places us where we need to be and not always where we, where we want to be. So in terms of, in terms of just kind of going back a little bit, your journey into becoming an attorney, you know, what was that? Why? Uh, because you said that immigration is not where you thought that you were going to, like, that's not the path or the kind of law that you saw initially that you were going to practice. So what made you want to become an attorney? Like just period. You must've missed the part about being first generation American. We get three choices. I mean, you're a doctor, as, you're a doctor, as, you're an attorney, or what's the third one? An engineer, unless you're it, Filipino and then you have to be a nurse. But those are the, <laughs> those are, yeah, we have very limited choices and what we can do and maintain family relationships. So, and math and I never really got along. So that kind of yeah. cut two of those things off the list. So lawyer it was. Wait, um, yeah, the, the standards, the standards is like, yeah, yeah, that part. There are no options, right? Not, the, not no options. All no that options. other dreaming and passion, nobody has time for that. Nobody cares what your passion is. Nobody's asking you what you dreamed. Your dream is, which is it, lawyer, doctor, engineer, pick one. Yes, yes. Maybe, you know, maybe when you're a, 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 a big adult, Right. Because there are right. levels to adulting. Right. So maybe when you're a big adult, you can like get a hobby and, right. and some of this other stuff. But as for you now, see where I'm going. Yes. Yes. OK. Yeah. So you're practicing. You wind up in the immigration realm and you say initially you did not make those connections. And then mm -hmm. you took this trip out west. OK, so you take the trip out west. You come back to Jersey. And then do you immediately like start? Connecting those dots, do you immediately kind of like make a change? And and what is that change? Like, was there a change specifically in how you started to look at um, your practice with immigration? Or like, what was that transition for you? Because oftentimes, yes, we connect the dot and we know something, but there still could be a lag in a figuring out of what do we do with it? No, and you have that exactly right. It was not immediate by any stretch of the imagination. It was probably a good year and a half before I even realized that I had made connections. I just knew something in my spirit didn't sit right. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of fun. I'm not even going to lie. Going out to Seattle was, it was the wildest thing I'd ever seen. Um, I mean, I was at law firm events and the things that I saw there, I had never seen in my adult life. And at that point I was about 45. So um, I, in my 45 years, I had never seen what I saw in Seattle. Um, and so after getting over the novelty of what that trip was, and I had a good time while I was out there after the novelty of that experience, I came home and again, it wasn't an immediate shift, but as I continued to do the work that I did, and I wasn't always dealing with detainees, I wasn't always dealing with people who were being deported. It wasn't even a large part of my practice, but it was a prevalent part. And it was a part that I saw in other people's practices as well, my peers. Um, and it took probably some more personal um, encounters for it to, to hit home for me. You know, I think a lot of people who keep their distance keep their distance because of a lack of knowledge, right? There's so much misinformation that we who have been around for the past, you know, 
couple decades have been given over the years that it takes a lot to undo that. Yeah. Um, and my my perspective didn't immediately change as a as a dare kid of the 80s. I still had that whole Nancy Reagan just say no, like that's not what what the good kids do yeah. mentality running through my head. Um, but as I started looking to shift careers and that shift came at a time where there was a little bit of burnout, it was a little bit of the climate of the country had changed somewhat. Mm -hmm. um, not that people didn't still need help in this way, but I myself needed to sort of take care of self. And there's there's a lot of emotional highs and lows in this practice in, in, in the immigration field, um, depending on what what kind of clients you take in. Um, as I was coming to the end, what was obviously the end of that chapter of my life, I started looking at what was next. Simultaneously, a lot of the country started opening up more adult use. So it was really a matter of timing. Um, ultimately, friends and family from around the country simply just would ask me to help them navigate paperwork, right? These were people who thought they were going to get into this cannabis game and they're looking at stacks of daunting paperwork that they don't begin to understand because I'm pretty sure the people who wrote that paperwork also didn't understand it. Um, they started coming to me and saying, can you help us translate this? Can you help us work through this application? Can you help us figure this out? Um, I then got reached out by a, uh, a colleague of mine, a former classmate of mine, whose law firm was going through some transitions. And because legalization had happened in his state, he needed somebody to help him with policies and procedures. So for me, that was the first time I started thinking about ancillary. At the time, I didn't know it was ancillary, but I was thinking about ancillary ways of being involved in the industry, consulting and writing things like SOPs, working in human relations uh, in labor law and just some non-traditional ways of being involved. And that started me on the pathway of education, right? Because I didn't know the vocabulary. I didn't know the culture. I didn't know the environment. You know, I, I vaguely knew the smell, but that's all I had. People were throwing words at me like terpenes and cannabinoids and endocannabinoid system. And I couldn't even pronounce all of that stuff. I was like, did I go to law school? But I needed to learn a new vocabulary and I needed to understand the landscape. And I think that's really what changed my course of action. When I started uncovering that, it was inevitable that I would stumble across the historical context. Yes. And it was learning about the history of prohibition and how we came to have prohibition in this country that it kind of blew my mind, you know not realizing the simple things like, okay, this is just a plant. I don't understand you know, carrots aren't treated like this. I've never seen a protest about broccoli or, and I think everyone should uh, should protest squash, but no one's ever done anything about that horrible piece of food. So, so what is it that is so different and so uh, negative about this plant? And, you know, the truth was easily revealed. It was that there was a very distinctive reason why prohibition was set into motion, and it had absolutely nothing to do with the health and safety of people. It had nothing to do with addiction. It it actually has some pretty unpleasant and dark roots, but as, as I started to look at that, it really made me want to learn more. Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of things that, that you just said, and I want to highlight. So one, in terms of um, ancillary, right? Um, in this cannabis space, in this cannabis industry, 
you know, anything that you're doing or someone is doing outside of it, that skill set, there is a way to apply it, right? Um, and so I think you went about it the right way in terms of one, recognizing your skill set um, and trying to figure out where it could fit in, but also educating yourself. Because I think that, you know, I think that that part is often skipped, right? That there is, um, you know, there's this kind of like attitude that people have where it's like, well, I could just jump in. And it's like, no, like there are people who literally um, have given their lives to this plant, you know, for this plant. And so we owe them that diligence of making sure that like, we are also students of it. Um, and when you talk to OGs, you know, um, they will break some stuff down that like your, your mind will be blown that they even have this level of knowledge and understanding. Um, I think, I think the second thing that you said though, is, is going to the root of it, going to the root of it and understanding, like, how do we even get here? That was, I mean, that was the thing to me, because especially when you're from the dare era, I remember having those thoughts and feelings and tell me if you did of, okay, well, if this is something that you can lose your job over, if this is something you can get in trouble for, then why are you doing it? And clearly, like, you are addicted. And I understand why this would be on the same level as like other drugs, because to me, it means that you can't stop doing it. Like, why would you risk these things um, to do it, right? Did you have those kind of thoughts initially as well? Like, Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was, I wasn't just raised in the dare era. Like I was an ambassador for these people. Like I was a full fledged card carrying cult whole... member that look, <laughs> Yeah, I was part of the problem. Let me tell you, I was a propaganda spreader like a mug. Like, I just, yeah. I didn't know any better. This is what the people that I looked up to and the pathway that I was, the trajectory that I was supposed to be on to accomplish yeah. the things that I was supposed to accomplish told me a certain narrative. Yeah. And I believe the narrative because I believe the people who gave me that narrative. Yeah. Now, do I think that the people who gave me that narrative were seeking to do me harm. No, I think that harm was set into play way before they had their information and they were just doing the best they could with what they thought to be this true. This was their way of protecting um, but I'm a, This was their oh, way but of I'm, protecting you. I, I'm, I'm a big truth seeker. You know, I, I don't mind ugly truths. I don't mind truths that are difficult, but I'm going to seek the truth, right? And once I've gotten on that path, I, I tend to be a little bit relentless with it, you know? Yeah. Um, and to your point about ancillary, I think sometimes we get tunnel vision as to what this cannabis mm -hmm. is, right? What the legalization means. And for me, I see it so much bigger than most of the conversations I'm engaged in. I see it as not only a revolution that we're living through, which is amazing to me. I see it as having the potential. It, it it, it's 50-50, right? It has the potential to overturn and to equalize and to tip the scales in business in general. Because I think if cannabis can successfully pull off the type of equity that it deserves and merits, 
uh, if that continues to drive the conversation, that conversation naturally naturally leads to the conversation about repair, right? Reparations or repair. I think if businesses can model themselves in the way that the culture should continue to demand. I love what certain cities are doing by demanding that certain things be put into play, but I think it can teach other industries how to better go about um, utilizing what I think is the greatest superpower in this country, which is our diversity. Yeah. I think if we take that model and apply it to other industry, we will finally catch on that it is not our detriment to be diverse, it is our strength if we utilize it. Um, so I just, I love, I love engaging people and letting them see that it's not someone else's issue because even if you never choose to be a consumer as in, you know, recreationally, you never know what's going to come around the corner that may make this critical to your life from a medicinal purpose. Yeah. So trying to do the Heisman and keep yourself like, this isn't my problem is the wrong, right. It's the wrong approach. You need to look at this as this is everyone's issue and it's going to come into your community. You're going to be surrounded by it. And you have two choices. You can either empower yourself by gaining the knowledge to understand what it is and applying yourself to that, or you can be big mad all yeah. the time, but it's all still time. coming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that it's not even that it's coming. It's here. Right. It's not a question of of if, it's when, right? So it's coming. You know, I often wonder, because look, I, I a colleague of mine, uh, Melanie Davis, wrote a piece that was linking diversity to, um, to company profits, right? Like the fact that you have people at the table coming from different viewpoints, you're actually able to tap into markets that you may be leaving on the table. And we often have this conversation of like, is it that companies don't know or is it that they would, you know, just kind of like rather steal, right? Because this often happens. This is this is the people are blunt. So I'm going to be blunt about it. Mm -hmm. I don't know that they don't know. And when I say they, I mean those in power, right? I mm -hmm. don't know that those in positions of power and decision-making um, roles that they don't know versus they don't want to be a part of the journey and the sharing, if you will, of having those voices at the table. It's like, look, I, I want all your rhythm and not your blues. Like, I want to be able to take those ideas. I want to be able to pull it. And we've seen that throughout history, right? Like we've seen businesses want to tap into urban markets or, you know, tap into the culture pull things from the culture, whether it's through music, art, what you know, through all of these different avenues, but not want to give credit or not want to um, share the profits or not want to, um, you know, so basically partner. So I, so I definitely agree with you that, you know, cannabis is in an interesting place in infancy where, as long as the culture, as long as the people keep fighting, um, it would be beautiful for it to actually mirror traditional culture, right? Traditional cannabis culture. But we already see that that is not how it is right now. And that there's also an active, um, an active campaign, right? To 
just allow cannabis or to make cannabis um, reflective of what all other major industries look like in terms of who's controlling how this thing goes? I definitely think um, to your first question, I, I don't think it's an either or. I think it's a combination of both. I think there okay. is greed at play. I think capitalism necessarily lends itself to that sort of mine, 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 take, 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 you know, hoard, hoard, hoard. I think that's sort of par for the course when it comes to the mindset that I not only want to have, I want to make sure you don't have because right. as long as you don't have, then I can have more. Um, and no one wants to be couched as that person, but it exists. And I think to deny it is either foolishness or either you're a fool or you think I am. That's right. how I look at it, right? Um, but I also think there is an ignorance. Like when you are the majority culture, when you are the majority thought process, right? You see things through your lens, but you're, you, can, you can be completely unaware that there are other lenses. Yeah. I often like to tell people to think of it this way. I'm right-handed. I walk through life as a right-handed person. I don't think about those other people. Not because I'm mean, not because I hate left-handed people. I just don't think about them because, you know, scissors are just something I can pick up and cut with. I don't think about, well, what happens if the scissors aren't designed for people with a dominant right hand? Right. It's only through being around left-handed people that I've heard, yeah, that didn't work out so well. Or yeah. even writing the way we write in, in American English. Yeah. We go from left to right. Well, if you're left-handed, that poses a problem, yeah. especially if you're writing with pencil. Mm -hmm. So I walk through life as a right-handed person. For me, that's why it is so important to surround yourself with diversity. Because if I have a business, right, and I'm trying to cater to the widest group of people possible, I want those left-handed people there. You know why? Because then I don't have to learn all the left-handed things. Right. I have somebody there who can tell me left-handed things. When I say something stupid, they can go, uh, hello, left hand over here. You yes. also need to consider X, Y, and Z. Yes. So that's, that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of what can change things. And I think for some, it is a short-sightedness that does not understand the value of a person seeing themselves. Because if I have the choice between two businesses, everything else being equal, but one of them caters to something that is um, prevalent in my life that isn't dominant in the world, guess who I'm gonna go to every time? Yeah. When petite size pants came out, that was the best thing that ever happened in my world. I was like, wait, I don't have to hem them. I, don't, I shopped only in places that have petite pants because I'm yeah. five foot one and three Because you're fun size. Shopped... <laughs> Because we're fun size. Absolutely. I, yeah. I mean, that's that I'm and I'm always going to go into places that cater to me. I get excited about that. And that's what businesses have to recognize that people enjoy things that cater to them. So if you want to capture more people, you need to have more people helping you make those decisions, helping you to recognize your blind spots. It's not up to any one of us to try to know all things because that's never going to happen, yeah. right? So there's a much easier way to do it than me becoming the expert on all things. It is by having other people with different perspectives surrounding me so that when I miss something, there is someone there to say, hey, sis, this is what you missed. Yeah. No, I, you know, I love that. I think it's a, another one of those both ends, right? So people at the top, you know, hopefully there are advisors who are, kind of pulling their coattails to the fact that 
um, this is not only good, but necessary for business. But then as consumers, right, um, it's up to us to also make sure that we are um, that we are advocating with our dollars and with and with our bodies um, to demand this sort of thing, that we're asking those tough questions. Right. And we're making sure that products um, that we're supporting products and product lines that actually speak to us. So, OK, um, I want to I want to fast forward to the the space or at least the title in which I met you, right? Because you and I linked up at um, Black Canna Conference and the hat that you were wearing was for the NABCL, which is the National Association of Black Cannabis Attorneys. Um, that is how you introduced yourself to me. And I was like, oh, okay, well, what's going on? Like, what's up with this? So I know we talked a little bit about your cannabis journey and um, the burnout and you linking with a friend and starting to find your way into this space. Um, how did we get to this? Well, when you're raised by very strict Catholic foreigner parents and you jump into weed. It always goes back. You got to have a really good entryway. And nothing impresses mom more than telling her that you're starting a national association of anything with lawyers in it. Right. So. No, Look, I, I think you still not big grown. You no, still I'm still not. Grown. I'm waiting. I think it's going to happen any day now. You know, I just I just celebrated a big birthday and I was hoping it was this one. But my mom reminded me that I am still not big grown. I have five kids of my own, but I am still not big grown. But it's OK. No, I think in, in all sincerity, um, that was not something I set out to do. <laughs> it really wasn't. Uh, it was really born out of necessity and frustration. Um, okay. And it was very quickly nourished by open armed reception. It's one of those things where I really was seeking to understand and to learn this environment. And I happened to be fortunate enough to be involved with New Jersey State Bar's Special Committee on Cannabis, where I learned a tremendous amount. That's where I really started to see people in different practice areas tapping into cannabis without having to quit what they were doing and become whatever a cannabis lawyer is, right? Okay. And I said, wow, this is wonderful. But I'm also at the same time hearing about the lack of diversity within the industry. And I'm walking into these rooms and into these special committee meetings and there's a lack of diversity in those rooms. Now, in that instance, I would say that that was by choice, right? No one was precluding attorneys from being in this space. Um, for some reason, attorneys of color were not coming into this space. And I was curious about that. So I started seeking out an organization that had black attorneys in it. Um, not because I was trying to be exclusionary, but in my mind, the way it works, I said, okay, the industry is not diverse. That means the people making decisions about policies and laws are also not diverse, which means the impact on the communities is being made by people who don't understand those communities and who were probably the same people who were demonizing those communities. This makes no sense. And I set out to find some sort of organization and I was blown away that none existed. I, I said, surely there is an organization of attorneys out there, black attorneys out there that recognize that there is a problem when your decision makers are making decisions on things that impact and have historically impacted communities. And we're not there. Yeah. 
And again, I could not find it. Did I find attorneys? Yes. Did I find an organization? Absolutely not. Now, I recognize that the country is very fragmented. Um, and so what's happening in Colorado is not what's happening in Florida, is not what's happening in Alaska or Utah. So I thought perhaps that was the reason. But again, the way my mind works, I thought hmm, it also doesn't make sense because although we have state laws that designate what's happening on a state by state basis, yeah. we're all waiting to see what the federal government is going to do. So why would we wait until after they've made their laws and their policies and created the framework to say, oh, by the way, these are concerns and needs. Why would we not want to be there at the base moving the needle rather than waiting to fix whatever disaster they present us with? Right. And so my theory was, if I cannot find these attorneys, then I will hold up a beacon and I will tell them to come find me. Bless you. And I will have them come find me. And that's exactly what I did. I started reaching out to people who kind of looked at me sideways, like, you're doing what? Why are you doing this? You know, because the first thought is, you're a weed lawyer? What's that? You know, I had to have that conversation so very many times um, before people started understanding that this wasn't about me wanting to get lawyers together to smoke. This right. was about me right. wanting to make sure that we were there laying the groundwork for what this will ultimately be because I don't want another Brown versus the Board of Education because that was, when was Brown versus Board of Education and where are we now? And I don't know about you, but my kids still go to a segregated school. So my thing is, I don't want it to be 50 years, a hundred years later. And we're wondering, well, what happened to our 40 acres in a mule? Well, what happened to our seat at the table? Well, how come our communities have not benefited at all from the tax money or the, the wealth that's being created? Um, I, I said to myself, we absolutely need to be there making the noise, fixing the things, laying out the, the platform for what this looks like. And we need to lock arms with other people in other lanes that have also been historically marginalized so that all of this noise kind of changes the traje trajectory and the narrative that you talked about earlier when you said that this is beginning to mirror what every other industry mirrors. Um, fortunately, I think the uniqueness of the cannabis culture and the cannabis movement, which is not just one thing, it's a lot of different things. I don't think that these are the people that are going to easily be steamrolled over. I think this is one of those Pandora's boxes instances where you have opened up this box mm -hmm. and you're not gonna be able to shove everybody into this cookie cutter, you know, good old boys, we're just gonna do things traditionally because the people will make noise. And if they don't make that noise with their mouths, their voices and their feet, you will see it in their dollars because there are places that they can go to get what they need a whole lot better than your, uh, you know, Apple store version of what this looks like. Yeah, I mean, and. And we're already we're seeing that, right? Like we know that the legacy, and when I say legacy, I don't mean gray market, right? I don't I don't mean these smoke shops and these pop-ups. I mean like traditional um cannabis operators, I'll call them, right? Because these are underground businesses, but it's still outperforming the regulated space three to four times. And so um people are already, right? Like people are already um kind of casting their vote, if you will. And so I agree. I think that there's going to, there's, there's going to continue 
being developments and shifts, the way cannabis, the right, the way the regulated space looks today is not going to be how it looks in five years, right? Um, because things are going to continue to shift. People are going to continue to to choose. So, okay, you hit the ground running, right? Because um, of your spirit is like, where is that? It was not here. Okay, well, let me figure this out. Let me make it. Um, what has been, I guess, most rewarding to you um, on this journey thus far of trying to, and not trying, I'll say you're doing it, right? So not trying, but pulling um, attorneys together and going through, I'm sure, aha moments with them as well. Because as you've already stated, there are conversations you've had to repeatedly have in terms of just the purpose and um, and the um, intent of the of the organization. Um, honestly, there have been so many rewards in this and so many positives in this. It's a lot of work. I would be lying if I tried to say anything else. It is a lot of work, but to find the lane that you're supposed to be in yeah. is indescribable, right? And I waited a long time to find that lane. Like I, I dabbled in a lot okay. of different areas and, and, and did a lot of different things. And I would never in a million years have guessed that this would be the place that I was compelled to be. Um, so it's hard for me to identify one, but I think the things that stand out the most to me are when you speak to someone who is very skeptical and very opinionated about what they think cannabis is and all of the reasons and all of the things that make them say, never in my backyard, it's not yeah. going to happen. It's not for me. And you're able to have just a conversation because I'm not in the business of convincing anyone anything. I simply speak my truth. And if it resonates with you, it does. And if it doesn't, then, you know, we can part as friends. Mm -hmm. um, but to have people who would never or believe that they would never uh, inquire about and want to learn more about cannabis, reach out to you. Cause I've had that, I've had people reach out to me, you know, who, who knew me five, 10 years ago and who are very conservative. Cause that's where I was, that's where I lived in that conservative world and say to me, okay, I gotta know why you're doing this, what right. this about, because this is not the you that I know. And so right. what's going on? Um, that's extremely rewarding because oftentimes I really just share my story and I cannot tell you how many people I've just shared my story with who are like, hmm, and I see them following me and I see them coming to our events and I see them tapping in. They may never pick up an edible. They may never pick up a pipe. They may never pick up a blunt, but they're opening their eyes and ears to the conversation. And that's tremendously rewarding. I think between that and, um, walking into rooms where the response is, this is so needed. And mm -hmm. it doesn't always come from where you think it would come from, right? It actually usually comes not from where I would think it would come from, but people who are happy that we are doing this because it is so sorely needed. Those are, that's everything to me. I, I just feel like I never knew whether I was gonna leave a legacy or a mark on this world, right? We all go through life. We don't know if we're gonna leave much of a mark. like. Your funeral, 10 people might say nice things about you. And then next week they forgot about you. Right, but right. not so much me, but this has, for me, I feel like this is something that I can actually leave as an imprint on history. Yeah. And that to me is 
tremendous. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's priceless. I, I think that um, in the, in the fight to normalize cannabis, um, we have to have credible voices. And when people know of someone's journey, you know, personally, um, and see you get to a place where you are open, you know, that that's exactly rather right? that's like a template of what we of what the industry needs. I think that there's always this idea that um, that in terms of destigmatizing that there's a a want for everyone to try the plant. And and that's not necessarily so. The same way that you don't want everyone to, or don't expect everyone to have a drink. There are just some people who do not drink, right? That's not their thing. And that's okay. But how do they look at others who do partake, you know? And how do they... Um, how do they speak of it? Like, that's the thing that we, that's, you know, that's the piece that we're working to, to impact. I'm not saying what, what you need to do. I'm just saying, please understand, please empathize with, and please respect my choices, right? Um, and understand what, what level this is on, right? Like, this should not be at a schedule one stage. So, so, so pivoting to that, um, before we wrap it up, I want your thoughts on like the current state of cannabis, right? Cause there's, there's been some stuff going on, right? I mean, you're in Jersey, excuse me, you're in Jersey. Jersey has a lot going on in terms of standing up its adult use market. Um, New York is right there federally, you know, at the end of 2022 around midterms, you know, Biden released his, um, decision on low level offense pardons and things of that nature. So what, you know, what, what every Oklahoma recently, even after having medical um, voted against adult use. So there's a lot going on, right? There's a lot going on. There's some trend um, shifting going on because at one point it was, if you had medical, you were pretty much guaranteed to go into adult use, right? And Oklahoma has kind of shaken things up. Um, we see New York doing things a lot differently than anyone else um, in terms of exclusivity, specifically for justice involved individuals. Um, what are your thoughts on the state of cannabis right now? Are there things that are exciting you, things that you're definitely paying attention to? It's a cluster, and I won't say the other word because we're, you know, on a publication here, have, but it, well, it is. It's a it's, it is. It's it's kind of a mess, right? Um, and that's just being blunt, right? Uh, there's no two ways about it. You have a lot of posturing, a lot of politicking, a lot of people using the buzzwords that they think will get them elected or will help to demonize their their opponents. And so that's probably the portion of all of this that is the most concerning to me, right? It's concerning because having taken the time out to understand the landscape and to kind of see the talking points of a lot of the players that we see prominently at the forefront of the debates about legalization, you realize how little they know. Like the steps that I took over two years 
it would do them a world of good to pick up a book. <laughs> it would do them a world of good to understand it and not just rely on their aid to quickly give them the notes for the briefing before they go out there and speak because they are making decisions in a vacuum that just a little bit of background knowledge might help them to see things differently. So yeah. that's that's the frustrating part of all of this because I don't think it has to be this way. Um, I think you can have more knowledgeable people be at the forefront of the decision-making process and that would probably help to take us a long way. I do think there are some exciting things that we're seeing coming out of different states, um, but I think there's some jockeying for, for fame there, right? I think every state wants to recreate the wheel and do it their way. And I don't know that that's the best approach either. I, I do recognize having traveled across this country that people are different throughout the country. You know, we're, we're not just different because we come from different backgrounds. Small towns are not like big cities and big cities are not like the plains. Like it's just very different in terms of the culture. So I understand that there are different needs in terms of, uh, what's culturally acceptable in different pockets of the country. But at the same time, it took a federal government to strip us of our right to enjoy a plant that God put on this earth. So I think the federal government needs to kind of woman up or man up, whatever. I think the federal government needs to step in and do what it so casually did when it wanted to decimate communities, to go ahead and reverse that trend, you know, to take a step back now and say, we're gonna research to see if this plant has medicinal value is sort of a slap in the face to the thousands of years and all of the people and all of the cultures who have already shown that it has medicinal value. It's, it's part of that whole politicking thing that, you know, that's not gonna change. It's part of the fabric of who we are, but it is frustrating when you know. Um, one of my favorite movies is The Matrix. And so the whole cannabis journey for me is very Matrix-like and I'm unplugged. So it's hard for me to unsee the things that they want us to kind of follow in line with and, and continue repeating. So th those are probably my frustrations. But on the flip side, the things that do excite me, um, one correction, I am, you know, the blood that runs through these veins is 100% Jersey. Oh, wait, but I live now, right? I am in, I was going to say, I, I you know, part of me wishes I was still back in Jersey. I, I travel there a lot. I work there a lot because I'm licensed there, but I am in North Carolina. Yeah. So it's a whole other world here. And some might say it's bleak because I am deep in the Bible belts. And in North Carolina, we don't have a pathway to legalization yet. But it's also very exciting for me because we don't have a pathway to legalization yet, which yeah. means there's still an opportunity to make sure that we do it well. Um, and we're working on that, right? So I get, to, I get to be in a state where we're still trying to figure out where we fit in and what is best for our population, right? Um, so there's still a lot of room there for us. It's frustrating, but there's still a lot of room for us. And we currently are sitting on SB3 in our state, which it has its issues and some shortcomings, but it will grant the relief to people who are desperately waiting for legalization to happen, to be able to come out from behind the stigma and be able to not only obtain the medical um, benefits that they deserve to have, I mean, we're all American. Well, we're, we're all, all of us that are living here should be able to get medical care, right? Yeah. And so if the medical care you need 
requires or demands cannabis, why are you precluded because you live in one state over another? That's insanity to me. So being here at the forefront of something that's still opening up has is exciting as well. Because I hope to, my biggest hope is to be able to positively influence the landscape of North Carolina's rollout of cannabis legalization. And I have that opportunity. You know, and that would be awesome. I mean, even just speaking or even just, excuse me, thinking about the landscape of North Carolina, the land, you know, the weather and things of that nature. And so um, is definitely perfect for for cultivation, um, more so than some other places. I also think, you know, what you pointed out in terms of the the ignoring of cultures, their rituals, their ceremonies, the 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 knowledge that we already have in terms of the plant. I don't I don't think that we've I know we haven't tapped into cannabis's the plant's full potential and the full range, but it's not lost on me that when cannabis was was deemed schedule one, there was research that had been done and the research actually said, oh there is a medicinal value here. This should not be done. And uh, I believe it was Nixon at the time. It was just like, we don't care what the research says. You know what I mean? Like, well, this is what I we want to do. Prohibition, prohibition <laughs> is such a blip on the map. I mean, for over 5,000 years, people have known about this plan. Right. All of those people's knowledge is not discounted because for 50 years, we decided to let racism dictate how we treated this plant. That doesn't undo all of that knowledge. It doesn't undo all of the culture or all of the, I mean, the religious factor. There are a lot of different components to this for different people, but the um, um, the AMA actually disavowed the whole notion that this was addictive, which is insane. Like in the 1800s, they were like, yeah, none of that is true. Like everything you're saying is a lie. It was, cannabis was actually the most widely used medicinal Correct. plant in the in the United States, even before we were the United States. Right. And we're trying to pretend like these past 50 years were are everything. And it's not, it's insane. I mean cannabis and hemp that's why it's so funny to me because it's just like okay here we are talking about research again but you all pick and choose which research you actually want to to digest or that you want to deem as valuable basically if the research doesn't say what you wanted to say at the time that dictates if it's valuable if it's going to be used or if it won't. Right. And so that is just hilarious to me. And I think about the tax dollars that are going into um, these research initiatives. And, and I believe that research is needed. Right. But I also believe that who's doing the research and the um, the purpose of it or the how you're going into it. Right. Um that that matters. Because if you're going into research trying to have an I gotcha moment, if you're going in with the premise that like, I need to prove that this is wrong, I need to prove that this is bad, versus going in totally open to whatever, you know, whatever um, the information shows you, then I mean, that's, that's going to show up, right? Like that's, that's going to dictate, you know, kind of where the results land, um, and how beneficial it is. So all of that is interesting to me. Um, 
it's a it's a microcosm very much microcosm of where we are right take a look at what's happening in florida with actual american history right we don't have to go down that rabbit rabbit hole but when you have people who are trying to stop the teaching of accurate history because it makes people uncomfortable Houston, we have a huge problem, right? We have a way bigger problem than we like to talk about and admit. So this is just a microcosm of that. We pick and choose and splice and dice what parts of our history we want to highlight today. And you know what? The interesting thing is that it's not like the history had been comprehensive in the first damn place. You know, it's not like we were we were starting off with the full scope anyway. We were starting off, you know, at enslavement, right? So we're just ignoring all of the all of the 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 history, all of the actuality prior to, right? Because I don't know about you, but I mean I know and I went to public schools, magnet schools, but we weren't initially taught about the Moors. You know, we weren't taught about those African um, kingdoms and queendoms, like that was not, so we weren't taught, uh, we weren't um, taught about our contribution to astronomy and things like, those are things that I got later on, like through a college course or something, right? Or through uh, my parents or outside influences. So it's like, you want to take out the very little that is there and anyway yeah we don't go down that rabbit hole natasha i love you um all right so i have the ticker at the bottom um for people to follow you on ig and on linkedin please make sure you do so um the nabcl puts on amazing um uh, lunch and learns and amazing events that um that the public can have access to so if you are on the journey of learning Um, and trying to make yourself abreast of what's going on and the issues within the industry. Um, It's a perfect place. It's a perfect place to to go and to tap into. Um, What do you want to leave the people with? You know, I'm just grateful to be here on this journey. Keep on pushing, keep on learning, keep on fighting back. Like if what's happening in your community just isn't right, be vocal about it. Show up at those meetings, show up at those town halls, because I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, decisions are going to be made that are going to affect you long term. And you want to be there to speak up reach out to us. We can help you sort of navigate the waters. And if there's an advocacy issue that is compelling, especially if it deals with social equity, social justice, reparative justice, absolutely reach out to us. Because if we have attorneys in your area, we want to help structure how you fight this fight. We want to be able to partner with you and to be able to make cannabis so different than anything else. Again, sis, I appreciate you. Y'all know what it is, y'all. Stay blunt.